The following message was recorded Sunday, December 31, 2023. On this New Year's Eve Sunday, Pastor Rich shares that as we take notice of the times and seasons, we see that the King is in the field, Jesus Christ's return is near. What changes do you need to make in your life? The word the Lord has given the chapel for 2024 is confess, which means to agree with God. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. I uh, am absolutely positive about the bleak future we have. <laughs> but as believers, we can be positive. Why? Because the Word says so. What does Romans 8, 28 say? All, all things work together for good. All things. And how might all, all be? How many might all be? All, all things. We sang several songs that made reference to the king. And how many of you are familiar with the expression, the king is in the field? Yes? Saul. I'm sorry? Saul. Saul, no. It's a Jewish expression, ancient expression that they would use at particular times of the year. Anybody familiar with it? No? Well, good. You'll learn something new this morning. See, I'm always, always hopeful that I can learn something new and you can as well, right? Because we're forever learning of his marvelous grace towards us. Amen? Amen. And I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, what I believe is that the king is in the field. Hmm. We are in desperate times for certain, aren't we? Paul said in the last days, when the king is in the field, it'll be perilous times. Kalepos. Is the word he uses there? Demonic. Influences and forces that are taking place. Surely we can see that's taking place in our days, can't we? And oh boy, are we not a divided house? Not only this nation, but the world. Oh, and where do those divisions come from? Well, the root of the problem, is it political? Economic? Social? No, the root of the problem is spiritual. And the division begins in the vertical relationship. Right? And that's just what's taking place in our world. It's just what's taking place in the church, unfortunately. It's just what's taking place in so many families, so many marriages. And we can prevent that from happening. Whatever this past year has brought, whatever pain, sorrow, or circumstances, joy, prosperity, and pleasure we can make certain that the new year coming is going to be different, can't we? How? By strengthening that vertical relationship so that the horizontal relationships of our life will be all they're intended to be. Amen? The Feast of Israel. Well, we know the first time he came, which is what we're commemorating now during this Christmas season. Don't you hate to see Christmas end? I do. I love Christmas. But during this Christmas season, we are looking back at his first coming, and his first coming occurred in what time of the year? The fall, okay. And for what purpose did he come the first time? That he would die. He came to die the first time. And the most significant part of the Jewish year, the Jewish festive year, for him to be that sacrifice was when? Passover, the spring of the year. The spring of the year. Now, last week, we talked about where potentially Jesus could be born. We can't be dogmatic about it, but we believe he was born at the Migdal Edar, right? The Tower of the Flock. And that as those temple shepherds were bringing those lambs to be sacrificed, and particularly during Passover, through the sheep's gate, in the year in which Jesus was crucified, 
the Lamb of God, who was born at the Migdalator, walked in to Jerusalem through the sheep's gate with those same sheep. Isn't that amazing? Coincidental, right? No. But the first time, the first time he came and he fulfilled those first three feasts in the spring of the year. Passover, unleavened bread, and then first fruits. Those three. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Dealt with the sin problem. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And we are so thankful. Amen? Yeah. Now, 50 days later, there was a summer feast, and uh, it was just to celebrate the summer harvest. And what was that called? Pentecost. But the true fulfillment of Pentecost is something that we've been studying as we're going in the book of Acts. Now, we won't be here this morning. Next week, we'll continue on our study through the book of Acts. But Pentecost was fulfilled when? When was it fulfilled? Acts chapter 2. And what was birthed that day? Yeah, Messianic Judaism was birthed that day. Some would say the church, but the church is simply the word ecclesia, which means the called out assembly, Jews and Gentiles, right? So you had the first three feasts in the spring of the year, then you had a summer feast, but then you had a long period of drought. No feast at all. Until when? Until the month of Tishri, the fall. And then you had the three fall feasts, two were feasts, and one was a very solemn day. What were those three feasts? Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Tabernacles, the three fall feasts. Now, God, during the 40 days prior to beginning Tishri, the Jews would say it's a time of preparation to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord. They would call it the time of teshuva. You know, you're familiar with that word, teshuva, right? And they would also refer to it as the time that the king is in the field. The king is coming back. Now, we know that those three fall feasts all have to do with the second coming of Christ. The first part of that second coming is for the church. The second part of that second coming is with the church to establish the millennial reign, right? So we know that uh, what ails us is the fact that we're not in proper relationship with the king, who I believe is in the field. And the world now needs to get in that proper relationship with the king. Amen? Now, in the Old Testament, there's a prescription for what ails us spiritually. It was the prescription for what ailed Israel. It's the prescription for what ails us today. And what was that? Do you remember? Do you know? Any idea? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 7.14. I think you all know it, don't you? Yeah, turn there. Do you know the context? If you're new to our chapel family here, um, we have a conversation. I'm not a talking head, so it's not, I'm not a monologue. It's a dialogue, and I'm asking questions. And so do you know the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7? What is it? Solomon is consecrating the temple. Solomon built the temple, right? And he's asking God to fill the temple that his presence would be known there. And God is answering the prayers of Solomon with regard to his petition of the Lord's presence being with them. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we just sang, isn't it? And isn't it an amazing thing that God desires to dwell in your life and in mine? Hmm. Not in temples made with stone any longer, no. But look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, let's pick, pick it up in verse 12. Oh, can we pray again before we do? Lord, I <clears throat> have so much, Lord, that it's just swirling around in my head right now. 
so much that I have been looking at and, and preparing this week, Lord, and, and early this morning. And, and now, Lord, I just want to surrender everything to you and ask you that my thoughts would be your thoughts right now, my words, your words, Lord. And that these, your children, your sons and daughters, would receive exactly what you have for them today as we've gathered together to worship you, to know you more, to love you more, and to serve you more. That's our desire, Lord. So meet us here in this place this morning. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can, Lord. Through the word, as we walk through several portions of your word this morning, I know that you have gleanings for each of us in these fields. So speak to us, Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, my Lord. That's what I pray this morning, Lord. Please, speak through me to each of us, Lord, in our time of need, in your holy name. And everyone said... Verse 12, 2 Chronicles 7. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, and command the locusts to devour the land, nor send pestilence among my people. Here's the, here's the prescription now for Israel, and it's a prescription for us today for what ails us. For if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So God is acknowledging Solomon's prayer, he is saying that his presence will continually dwell there. Where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, we know that he no longer dwells in the temples of stone, does he? No. In John chapter 4, we have an account of Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman at a well. You're all familiar with that historical event. And Jesus begins to address this woman, and very soon she determines, discerns, he's a prophet. You must be a prophet, sir. Let me ask you then, on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem, should we worship? He said, you know not what you worship, for salvation is of the Jews. He said, but a time is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Lord, but in truth and in spirit. He shall be worshipped in our hearts and in our lives. Now, we know we can take this prescription and apply it to our nation, apply it to our lives, apply it to our homes, apply it to our families, because God wants to be worshipped in our hearts and in our minds, not in a temple, not even in this sanctuary, but truly in our lives intimately, individually, singularly, doesn't he? And where he declares here in the text, in verse 14, if my people who are humble them, called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn. That word turn, you know what it is? What is it? Not shrub, shub. 
Shub, S-U-S-H-U-B, Shub. It's used for repentance or for to turn or to return. It's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. Jeremiah uses it 38 times. If you were to sum up the book of Jeremiah, it's simply one phrase, return to me. It's the Lord crying out to his people to return. Oh, what ails us as a nation, what ails us as a people, what ails us as families, as individuals, is we need to return unto the Lord. That's my encouragement for you this new year. Like never before that you would draw near unto the Lord, that you would turn to the Lord. This word is also used and interpreted as repent. And what is biblical repentance? Well, I'm sorry? That's exactly right, Andrew. It's a state of mind. It's a changing your mind. Joel would say something very similar. Go to Joel chapter 2 for a moment. Joel's prophecy, chapter 2. <coughs> and we're going to begin in verse 12 here as well. Is there a heading over verse 12 in your Bible? I'm sorry? Return to the Lord. Anybody else? A call to repentance, would you say? A conditional promise. This is a conditional promise. It's not, I will, I will, I will. He said, I will if you will. I will if you will. I will if you will what? If you will teshuva. If you will return unto the Lord. Shub. Return to him. Change your mind, your thinking, okay? And that's what repentance truly is. It's not just an emotion, you see? Although there may be some sorrow involved in some repentance, some contrition, some deep regret. But it's far more than emotion. It's a matter of mindset, a matter of thinking. Hmm? So here in Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, look with me. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. Same word. With all your heart. Now, this word heart can also be interpreted with all your. Anybody have a word study in their Bible? With all your understanding. That's the word here. Turn unto me with what? With all your emotion? No, with all your understanding, with your mind, with fasting and weeping and mourning. There's emotion associated with it, of course. But to render your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. He knows if he will turn and relent. Who knows? Who knows if he will turn? God himself. Now, this word for relent, used at the end of verse 13 and the beginning of 14, is a different word. What's that word? Nakam? Nakam. What does it mean? What does it mean? Someone has maybe offended you, and they come to you and they want to make things right, offer you a propitiation, right? An appeasement for an offended individual or for some reason of offense. And sometimes people will make a gesture, they'll go, <sighs> and that's this word here. It's to breathe strongly or sorrow the Lord is going to forgive. He's going to be gracious. Oh, our sin, our transgression, our rebellion has caused him to be in some distress over our situation, right? But here he relents. He is sorrowful. He sighs. 
He breathes heavily. But who knows that he will turn and relent and have a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Well, we come to the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament because we said he's not worshipped any longer in temples of stone. He's not worshipped as we gather together and offer some sacrifice unto the Lord. But he's worshipped as we offer our hearts and our lives to him. But all worship begins with repentance, right? And the ministry of Jesus begins with the baptizer. What was his name? John. Go with me to Matthew chapter 3 for a moment. Interesting, these first words that are spoken with regard to the ministry of Jesus. And first the forerunner, John. And then we'll see the first words of Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry. But John chapter 3, if you're there, look up. Did I say John Matthew? Matthew, Matthew. Did I say Matthew? Okay, keep me straight, folks, all right? (laughs) Nobody has it all together, Jason, but all together we have it all, right? I need you as much as you need me. Is that right? Yeah, amen to that. Where did I say to go? Matthew chapter 3. Okay, go there. Matthew 3, the beginning of the baptizer, John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. Repent. Now, what is this word repentance there in the Greek text? Metaneo. Metaneo. What does it mean? What Andrew said. What did Andrew say? Change your mind to reconsider, to think, to think again. Metanao, to repent. Who said this? John the Baptist. Why is he saying this? What does it say? Look at the text. He said, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hmm. All the other gospels say the kingdom of God. Why does Matthew say the kingdom of heaven? He doesn't want to say God. He doesn't want to use the name for God. He just says the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he's saying is essentially is what they would say in the Old Testament during this period of time of repentance, of turning back to the Lord of Teshuvah during the month of Elul, right? That was, that was the fall feast in the month of Elul. The king is in the field. The king is in the field. And it was a cry to all Israel to turn unto the Lord because the Lord may appear. The coming of the Messiah. Well, we know that John is preaching here that the king has come. The king is in the field. John was born where? And raised where? John the Baptist. Where was he raised? Qumran. Qumran. Among what community? The Essenes. And what were they known for? I'm sorry? They copied the scriptures, but they were known for a particular bent in their understanding, their doctrine, their theology. They placed a strong emphasis upon eschatology. They strongly believed in the first coming of Messiah, that he was coming, right? And so it's no wonder why John, John now has given his ministry, calling out to the people to metanau, to reconsider the truth, to turn back unto the Lord to change your thinking, your mind. Why? But the king is in the field. The king is coming. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so that's what John was declaring. 
that the kingdom of heaven is upon us, and therefore you need to consider these things. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your way of life, the path that you're on. Maybe you need to reconsider an adjustment. Well, then we see the ministry of Jesus begins right after the temptation. Remember, for 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted, and the enemy came and tempted him, but he was successful. And how did he defeat the enemy in his temptations? The Word of God, with the Word of God, with Scripture. And so can we. Every time he comes, we can defeat him with the truth of God's Word. But how did Jesus begin his earthly ministry? Look at chapter 4, Matthew's Gospel. Look at verse 17. After he had been tempted, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say... Oh, interesting, interesting. John the Baptist begins his ministry as the forerunner, heralding the coming of the Messiah with the word repent, metanao. Jesus begins his earthly ministry with the word repent. Now, it's a matter of mindset, of thinking, you see. And so Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God, of heaven, is at hand. Hmm. Math, uh, Mark's gospel gives a little bit of a twist to that. So go there for a moment. Mark chapter 1. Chapter 1, look at verse 14. The king is in the field. Do you know in your heart, in your understanding, in your mind, do you know what I'm talking about? When I'm declaring to you, beloved, that I believe more than ever the king is in the field. Verse 14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word time here, what is that? Kairos. What does it mean? An appointed time or a season. Now, we're responsible to know, as Israel was, Jesus held them responsible in Luke 19 to know the time of his visitation, that he would come and visit them. They were responsible to know the season of his, of his first coming, just as we are held responsible now to know the season of his second coming. Do you know that? Paul records that for us in Thessalonians. So he's talking about the time where the season is near to be fulfilled for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This word at hand means it's egagos. It means it's nigh, it's close, it's near. Repent. Consider this. Think about this. Change your understanding, your thinking, and believe. This word believe is the word pastuo, as you know. It means to completely entrust. Believing in God isn't an emotional response alone. No, no, it does include emotion, but it's a matter of mindset where you truly trust and believe everything that you've been taught. I was reminded of the death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know who he was, right? The German theologian who was brought to the United States to save his life during the Nazi uprising there in Europe. But then he 
He was compelled to go back. Conscience would not allow him to stay. But he went back and he did everything he could to help the resistance and come against Nazi Germany. But just before the war ended, they, they killed him, didn't they? And do you know how he died? John Michael, how did he die? He was hanged. And just before he was hanged, hours before, what did he do? He did a Bible study. And they stripped Yes. Yes. Walked in the gallows on his own with a smile on his face, knowing where he was going. Isn't that wonderful? We just sang, no fear in, there's no fear in death. Why? We don't die. It's our ascension, right? <laughs> well, John is recovered, Bob. Mark is recording here that the time, the season is near, it's at hand. We're to repent, change our mind, and believe. Believe is a completely surrender or entrusting our lives to what you say you believe in. Now, I tell you all the time that I listen with my eyes. I don't listen with my ears what people say, because everybody makes all kinds of claims, right? And I can be deceived very easily if I just use my ears to make judgments. But if I listen with my eyes... I can make pretty good judgments of individuals because people live what they believe. And that's exactly what this word means. Are you living as a believer? When everybody who knows you, you never have to say a word about Christ or about your embrace of the gospel, but would everybody know by the way you live your life that you believe? Not to know. Consider this. Change your thinking. It's important. The time is drawing near. Hmm? Turn to me. This repentance is spoken of in Romans chapter 10. Now, repentance is what we need to do in our beginning of our relationship with the Lord, is, is turning to the Lord, is change of mind, change of direction, is considering or reconsidering all that he represents to us. But as means of repentance is what we call <coughs> confession. Isn't that true? We need to confess. And so Romans 10, go there. Paul talks about this necess necessity of confession. Chapter 10, Romans. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 8. What does it say? The word, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the need of repentance, but the means of repentance is confession. And what is this word confession here? To confess. Homologeo. Right? Homologeo is to... Greek words compounded, right? What are the two words? Homo. What's homo? Same or akin, right? Homosexual, same, 
sex, right? Homo, logos. What's logos? Words. So we're to speak or believe or live the same words, the same as the Lord, the same as God. Now, that's what it means to confess. Confessing means you're agreeing. You're going to speak the same thing that God has spoken. Whenever I taught the young children in class, the first thing I do is go over all of the class rules. Keep your feet on the floor. Fold your hands in your lap. Keep your mouth shut. And keep your eyes focused on the teacher. Now, I would have them continually repeat exactly what I said. Now, why would I have them repeat that? It becomes theirs. They repeat my words, and they agree with me. They own it, right? Now I can hold them accountable for what they say they agree to and that they own. You understand? Now, that's really what confession is, that we're going to agree with God. So many things we need to agree with God over that we have some misconceptions about, and particularly who and what we are. Amen? Yeah, but here, let's look at this again. In chapter 10 of Romans, it talks about confession. The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That word of faith which we preach, if we confess, we agree with God. Agree with what? What is the gospel? What do we have to agree to about the gospel? That God loves me? Is that what we're agreeing to? No, what are we agreeing to about the gospel? That we're sinners, that we're sinners, and because I'm a sinner, and I, was, I sin because of what I am. Sinning doesn't make me a sinner, does it? I sin because I am a sinner. Barking doesn't make my dog a, a dog, does it? No, he barks because he is a dog, right? And we sin because we are, and my sins have separated me from God. That vertical relationship is not what it should be. And therefore, I am under what? under destruction, under the wrath of God. Do you understand that? There is such a misunderstanding where, where so many today are not agreeing with the words of God or with the truth of God's word that says we have been saved by God from God. God has chosen to save me from his wrath. Do you understand that? Every human being, every single human being, you're either the under the perfect wrath of God or you're the object of the perfect love of God. They have a preference. Then you have to confess. You have to repent. You have to change direction in your mind, in your thinking, and then therefore in your life. And this confession is to agree with God. Homo legeo. That I agree with your words, God. I agree with you. Now so many today, they pick and choose what they want to believe from the word of God, don't they? Homo, same, logos, word, right? The same word, but yet they interpret it so differently or they ignore it completely. The leader of the largest, largest Christian denomination in the world, if you would call it Christian, just recently stated that homosexuals need to be blessed and loved of God because that's the way they are. That's just the way they were born. Is that true? Absolutely not. Does he agree with the word of God? Is he confessing anything true? No, not at all. It's not homo legale. And listen, we, you and I need to be very, very careful. Everything we believe and everything we practice needs to agree with what God has said through his word. That's true confession. It's not just that, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I've done this again and again and again. I'm so captured and trapped by this sin, Lord. But you haven't confessed that it is sin. 
You haven't confessed it. You're the problem in our relationship. And that's so important, beloved. So many today want to be the victim of sin rather than the perpetrator that they are, the iniquitous individual. What is iniquity? My black, dirty, rotten heart until God enters in to cleanse me and to make me whiter than snow, right? Why whiter? We would have really enjoyed a little snow this Christmas, wouldn't we? (laughs) Maybe we have some coming yet. I don't know, you know. Remember a few years ago, we got a good snowfall? I ended up shoveling three driveways. And I said to myself, I will never do this again. And immediately I got online and I Amazon Snow Joe. Got me a little electric snowblower. <laughs> it's still in the box. <laughs> if, if I had known earlier that's all I had to do was buy a snowblower to prevent it from snowing, I would have done it years ago. <laughs> I'm still waiting to use it. Oh, but the Bible says we're whiter than snow. Why? What's the problem? Every snowflake starts with a speck of dirt, a dirty little heart. Isn't that how we come into this world? An iniquitous heart, a black heart, a wicked heart? For the heart is desperately wicked. Incurably is the Hebrew word there. And who can know it? Oh, but God can change our hearts, can't he? Yeah, this new year, I want you to consider what your relationship has been with the Lord, and more specifically, homologeo, with his word. His word in your life, is it the same? Are you really living life according to his word, or do you pick and choose what you want to believe? Pick and choose. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, that's cheap grace, isn't it? That's a presumption of grace, which is so prevalent today. Hebrews tells us what great grace affords in the life of an individual believer, one who would homologio. What does that great grace produce? What? Godly repentance. repentance. Yeah. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, reverently, and with a godly fear. Listen, that's what grace produces in the life of a believer. That's what will happen when you truly repent and you confess of your sins. You'll repent. He'll be a change of thinking. You'll consider who you are in light of who he is. You'll consider what you've allowed him to do in and through your life and all that he's afforded you. He's given us so much, hasn't he? Yeah, so much to be thankful for. And now we owe him a debt of love. That's what I want you to consider this year. Are you more Christ-like, more surrendered, more yielded, more in service to Christ now, December the 31st, than you were January 1st of 2023? I constantly ask my wife to please evaluate me. It's your responsibility to evaluate me, to tell me my blind spots, and, and tell me in what way you've seen me allow Christ to live more through my life in this last year than he has previously. We're constantly in this state of change, this metamorphosis, this transfiguration, this transformation that is taking place. Can you recognize the change? Have you considered? Would you become now in December as opposed to who you were in January? Have you considered giving thought to who you would like to become next December? December of 2024, 
and how you'll get from here to there over the next 12 months. These are the things we need to talk about. New Year's resolutions. Oh, sure, I want to lose some weight. Yeah, I want to exercise more. Yeah, I want to clean up my messes. Oh, I have messes everywhere. I, I told Gail, I said, I promise this year I'm going to clean up all the messes I have because if I die and I leave you these messes, you're, you're not going to be happy with me. <laughs> oh. But more than any of those other promises, commitments, resolutions, plans that we make, it's so important, beloved. The king is in the field. Now than ever before, you need to draw close to the Lord. There's a, a day of accounting coming. You know that. I know you know that. And we don't want to be ashamed. When he comes, we want to be able to say, Lord, we've done all that you commanded us. And nothing more, but we've done what you've commanded us to do. Homo legeo. Right? One mind. My life has lived in accord with your word. You know, I have, I have a responsibility. Word tells us not to rush out to want to be teachers. Why? There's a higher accountability. Some of you may think you know me. You don't know me, do you? Who's the person that knows me? Yeah, the person that sleeps with me. She knows me, right? She knows who I am. And she has a responsibility, as I have a responsibility towards her, she has a responsibility towards me to hold me accountable that I would become who I say I am through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing Christ to live through my life. And if there's any kind of a disconnect, well, that needs to be challenged. Is that not true? You know, I have a responsibility that I don't teach beyond what I live. There shouldn't be much daylight between what I teach you and how I live my life outside of this church. And I've told you repeatedly, you have... You have my permission, and you have a responsibility. Well, that woman's not here this morning. She's ill. She's not feeling well. Keep her in your prayers. But there's several sick in our community right now, in our communion. You want to keep them in your prayers. And listen, if you're not feeling well, what should you do? Please stay home. We don't want what you have, okay? So for the love of others, right? For the preciousness of others, just stay home if you're not feeling well. Because there's a lot going around right now. But if she were here this morning, I would tell you that you have my permission, and she would be more than happy for you to ask her the question, what's he really like? No, come on, come on, come on. Tell us who he really is. Really, really. Because it's so important that I homo legeo. Not just in my mind, but the way I'm living my life. Paul encourages us as we're going through the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 to walk in love, walk in the life, walk in the light of his truth. I'm so glad that Jesus, you know, Jason, Jesus didn't say to me, go do. No, he said, come, follow me. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I, I can follow you. I can learn by your example. I can, I can learn if you show me how. But if you just tell me, go and do it. Well, you know, I'm not. There's some insecurity attached to that. I'm not certain I can do all of that. But I am so thankful. What he says to me is, would you just come and follow me? That's what it means to walk in the spirit, to walk in the light, the love, the life of Christ. Just following his example. Where do we find that example? Homo legeo, through his word. The written word describes us perfectly the word in flesh, the word who's dwelling within us, who we need to imitate in this world. When Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate, are you an imitator? 
those closest to you, can they say, your life really displays your Christ-likeness, your love for Jesus and his word. Confession, to agree. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. I'm going to try to wrap this up because I want to allow time for prayer. What the church today is in desperate need of, you know, this, this separation. We talked about uh, this period of, of famine or drought uh, in Israel. It would go from, from the summer months, from Pentecost to Teshuvah, uh, to uh, Tishri, to the fall festival, festival period. But, but during that time, there was a drought. Similar to the drought that we're experiencing now between the first and the second coming. Amos declared that this drought would occur, and so I'm, I take great pleasure in the fact and confidence and security in the fact that God told me ahead of time that this would happen. But what is the drought that we're in right now? He said a drought will occur in the latter days, in the last times. Why? Not a drought, a famine of the word, nor of bread, but a famine or a drought of the hearing of the word of God. Now, how do we process? How do we understand that? What do you mean a drought of the hearing of the word of God? They don't want to hear. God, listen, only God can give you and I an ear to hear. Only God can open up our ears to the truth, our minds and our hearts to walk in that truth. And if God has opened up your ears to the truth, then you need to be so thankful for that. For he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, right? And so it's very, very important that we have an ear to hear what God is saying to us. Now, what the church needs today desperately is, because of the famine, of the hearing of the word of God, is discernment. Where does discernment come from? Your discernment comes from your understanding of the truth as the Holy Spirit leads you into the word. The Holy Spirit is a mentor leading us, guiding us, teaching us into all truth. And as you, you receive more and more of the truth of God's word, you're able to discern more and more between truth and error, light and darkness. But today, the church is so ignorant of the truth that they should be believing. Isn't that not true? Yeah. Now, here, we're admonished here by John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, to do what? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. You need to have discernment. And the discernment comes through the word of God as you do confess and agree with God, all of the truth that is in his word, and you begin to live that truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own power. You, you have no ability to repent, to turn your own life around, but it's coming to God and confessing and agreeing with God. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, save me, Lord. And then I'm saved by grace. And then my prayer is, Lord, change me. Change me at the very core of who I am. Make me more like you, Lord. Help me to see with your eyes. Help me to love with your heart, Lord. Help me to understand with your mind, Lord. Isn't that true? Yeah. We come to him, we're justified. By grace, you have been saved through faith, not on your own, but a gift from God, not of works, least any man should boast, not of you. Right? It's not of us, not of works. It's all of God. 
But then in this process we call sanctification, well, we have to yield, we have to surrender, we have to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Confessing, what does it mean? Homo legeo, what does it mean? Agree with God. Agree with the Word. Become one, become the same. Not just intellectually or doctrinally, but in the way we live our life. There's too, there are far too many people who can repeat scripture after scripture after scripture, yet their life is lived no different than their unsaved neighbors. How can that be? Test the spirits, he said, and see. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's what we just celebrated. Do you agree with God? That Mary was a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he had a miraculous birth, do you agree? Oh, there are many evangelicals now who doubt all of that. Can't possibly be true because it doesn't, it's not embraced or it's not backed up or it's not validated by their science. Well, God is far beyond our science, isn't he? Yeah. And God said, this sign would be given to you Centuries, millennium before in Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. Do you believe? Do you? Yeah. Now, this is what he's saying here. If you confess, if you confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen? Yeah. Not you, but he who is in you. For they are of the world, therefore they speak as the world. The world hears them, and we are of God. For he who knows God hears us. He who knows not God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. We say, we believe, we speak, we live the same as God and his word. Is that true? Is that true? So, well end here where we began. Go back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. For this prescription that ailed Israel, ails that same sin, ails us, the same disease, the same malady, but the cure is the same. 2 Chronicles 7.14. And in a few minutes, I'm going to allow time for us to have some corporate prayer as we begin the new year. It's a time for teshuva. It's a time to return unto the Lord. Short of the Lord's intervention, short of the Holy Spirit of God working in the hearts and lives of, of this nation and men and women in this nation, we're lost. There's no hope. Consider for a moment just what we're doing with our children. The most precious gift that God gives a people are children. 50% are destroyed in the womb murdered. Of those who are birthed into this world, what have we done to them? The, 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 the weapon of mass destruction that's coming across our southern border constantly is what? Fentanyl. Where did it come from? China. It's not a bomb that they've released on us. No, no, not that weapon of mass destruction, but the weapon of mass destruction they're using against an entire generation of Americans is fentanyl, drugs. 
And then, and then because we won't agree with God, because we won't confess, because we won't homo legale. Look at the confusion we bring into the minds and the hearts of our children. Telling little boys that they're girls, little girls that they're boys, trying to defy how God has created them, the gifts that they are. The mutilation that we perform on children. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, if you cause any one of these little ones, it'd be better what? Be better a millstone be hung around your neck and you be cast into the depths of the sea than you cause any one of these little ones to be offended in any way. Look what we've done to our children. Do you not think there's a price to pay for that? Yesterday at the men's study, I made reference to that and what's taking place and the misinformation, the disinformation. Just, just the, the, the anti-Semitic swell. It's not just Nazi Germany this time. It's global. This demonic hatred of the Jewish people. And look what's taking place in our country among our youth. And they're so misinformed. Is there a genocide being committed against the Palestinians? What's your proof of that? The population has increased. Times six. Times six. Israel is an apartheid nation. South, South Africa was an apartheid nation. Why is Israel not an apartheid nation? They have people sitting on the Knesset and the Supreme Court. They have Arabs and representatives in every form of government that they have. They're more of a democracy than we've ever been. What we are is a democracy in conscience they are in reality. Do you understand that? Lie after lie after lie after lie. And yet the world believes it. So deceived. Because we don't confess. We don't agree with God. We don't agree with his word. We don't know his word. There's a time of reckoning coming. Amen? Amen. Better what? That a millstone what? Be hung around your neck and you be cast what? Hmm. Where'd we go yesterday, fellas? I quoted that verse and I showed you where that's going to actually take place, where God is actually going to do that. Turn with me to Revelation 18 for a minute. This is an aside. This is just a freebie for you. <laughs> Revelation chapter 18. And I know I, I recognize there is some uh, controversy about who Babylon is in chapter 18 and chapter 17. Chapter 18, it's an economic Babylon, and then there's a spiritual Babylon that is destroyed. Um, now, my personal position, and, and you can agree to, well, agree to disagree if you don't see it my way, but my personal position is this Babylon that's being described as the United States. When you look at the description and the power that they have, the economic power that they influence, that they, they yield throughout the whole world, um, it's certainly the United States. Ever since World War II, we are the economic powerhouse of the world. But we have exported more of our evil, our greed, a perversion than anything else. And, and this Babylon is being judged. Well, no nation on the face of the earth right now does more damage to their children than we do. Do you understand that? Abortion on demand. We want the right to murder our children. And parents have no rights any longer, do they? Do you know the state believes 
the government, federal, state level, believes that they own our children. Chapter 18, verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And the sound of the harpist, the musicians, the flautists, the trumpeters shall not be heard in her anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in her anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in her anymore. The light of the lamp shall not shine in her anymore. Who is the light of the world? Who represented G Christianity, Jesus Christ, more than any other nation on the face of the earth for so long? We did because of our forefathers and mothers. But no more. That light is darkness now. Yes, the light of the lamp shall not shine in her anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. Who's the bridegroom? Who's the bride? Now, why won't they be heard anymore? Are you getting ready? Now, listen, I, I know for a lot of people, they think we're absolutely insane and we believe we're jumping off the earth. Okay, but the Bible is clear, and I've had two historic examples of that. Who were they? Enoch and Elijah, two men who didn't die. They jumped off, right? The voice of the bride, Jesus Christ, and the voice of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus Christ. The bride is the church. The voice of the bridegroom, Christ, the voice of the bride will not be heard any longer. Why? The church age will be over. This dispensation of the church age very soon. This judgment is coming. What? A great millstone is thrown into the ocean to destroy this Babylon. Look at the rest of the text, and then we'll move on. And the light of the lamp shall not shine in her anymore, nor the voice of the bridegroom, or the bride shall be heard in her anymore. For your merchants were great men of the earth, for by them the sorcery of the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets, the saints, and all who were slain on the earth... Are we not deserving of God's judgment in the way we're treating his children? The greatest blessing he gives us as a people? Hmm? Are we not in need of repentance? Teshuva? To reconsider? To change our thinking? Our life? To be redirected? Are we not in a desperate need of true, true confession? Repentance, the means of repentance is confession, right? True confession is to agree with God and agree with his word and then change your life. You know, I, I, I don't, since 1985, I have not let anything come into my life, into my body, into my mind, ingest in my system, anything that would put me into an altered state of consciousness. I did enough of that before I was saved. <laughs> but after my salvation, I, I stopped doing anything. No more drugs, no more alcohol. I mean, I've been careful about the medication that I take. Only when it's absolutely necessary. Why? I, I don't want to be put into an altered state of consciousness. I want to agree with God. And I don't want any outside influencing, changing my understanding, other than the Word of God. You might want to consider that this new year. That you don't want to put anything into your system that would, that would ever, ever have the possibility, the opportunity of putting you into an altered state. The requirements that God has for the leadership of the church, whether it's a pastor, bishop, a deacon, whatever it may be, you know, there, there are certain, certain qualifications that are laid out. 
Do you think that God wants those qualifications to be met by every one of his sons? I'm sorry? Of course he does. Of course he does. Maybe you want to consider this, this new year. Swearing off anything. The one thing that the church has taken such a casual approach to is drinking wine. No whining. Right? So I told my wife, you know, no whining in this house. Now, I wasn't talking about alcohol. I was, you know. <laughs> but no whining should be in God's house. I'm going to follow Christ's admonition. What did he say? I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it'd be a good thing for you, a good New Year's resolution that you would not allow alcohol to pass through your lips ever again because you don't want to be put into an altered state of consciousness. I've asked all the leaders of our church, and one of the things that I'd ask of you, one requirement is that you abstain from drinking alcohol. I know the damage it's done in my family. And I'm so thankful that in 1980, God freed me from drinking, not to drink. And so many other things that might be permissible for others, but not for you and I as sons and daughters. That we want to agree with God. Jesus was a Nazarite. What does that mean? A Nazar? Right. He was consecrated unto God, set apart for God. You know, God wants to set you apart. He wants to consecrate you. He wants you to be set apart for him. This year, consider your repentance, your confession. What sacrifice do you want to make for God? Look at the text again, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and then we're going to pray. Beginning in verse 14, the prescription for what ails us as a people individually, what ails us as families, what ails us as communities, what ails us as a nation, what ails us in the world. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's all that's really necessary, beloved. It's not in the next election. It's not in the assurance of our prosperity and our Dow Jones. And it's not in the social engineering that's taking place today. It's how destructive it is. The answer to what ails us is spiritual. It's returning to the Lord. It's making teshuva. It's confessing and agreeing with his word. And that my life, the way I live my life, would agree with the same. Why? The king is in the field. The king is in the field. Do you believe that? Yeah. I, I, I think, without a doubt, the Antichrist is alive and on planet Earth right now. Right now. Now, I don't think he knows who he is. I don't know if anybody knows who he is. Maybe the Pope does. I don't know. He's the false prophet. <laughs> but I'm not looking for Antichrist. Who am I looking for? Jesus Christ. Why? Because very soon the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride will no longer be heard. Why? A millstone will be thrown down to the earth to destroy those who are destroying the heritage of the Lord, their children. Oh, goodness. We have so much to repent over, don't we? 
confess. Now, now, there's a message that we need to bring to the world out there. God is a forgiving and a merciful God. His grace is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? Amazing that he would save a wretch like me and you. And while we're still in this age of grace and still in this dispensation of the church age, there's much to be shared out there. Yes, God loves all those who would repent, who would confess, who would turn, and who would agree with the word of God. Amen? So, uh, John Michael, do you have your mic back there? We're just going to have a time of prayer for the next few minutes. Because we're desperately in need of intercessory prayer for one another and for our nation and for this world. It, it grieves me deeply to see the anti-Semitism that's growing, the love that we should have for the Jewish people, for Israel. Now, we're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we know that the word tells us that all the nations of the world will come against Jerusalem. I, I believe that Israel is going to win the present conflict. But I believe there's a very cold, a very dark, a very bitter winter coming for them. The word tells me, such as they've never seen before. So we need to pray. But don't think for a moment that the body of Christ, the Zionist Christian, won't be affected by it as well, because we will. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.